Network interface is enabled. Bold, bold. podcast for April 2013. We cover anything and everything geek-related, and we've got a pretty broad definition about what uh, makes a geeky subject. I'm your host, Carlos, and with me is your host, Ben. Hey, BJ, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, sir? I am doing okay. Have you recovered from ChimeraCon? I've caught up on sleep. That's good. That's yeah. the important thing. Me too. I got to a point where I could not do math, as you recall, over there, which was uh, very interesting. But yeah, uh, what's been going on in your world? I was actually a little afraid for you. I was worried about you being able to drive home. I know you were fairly sleep deprived during uh, ChimeraCon, so um, I was trying to be your little math buddy uh, throughout some of the sessions and, and keep an eye on you. Um, but uh, everything else is going pretty good. You know, we have a lot of a lot of geek stuff going on. I think we need to, you know, we got to cover ChimeraCon. Uh, there's a lot of video game stuff going on right now that we got to cover, a lot of Kickstarter stuff. So let's let's. I think we should just dig right into it. All right. One thing I wanted to mention: this is our one-year anniversary of coming out of the Basement Podcast. Holy crap! Has it been a year already? It's been a year. This is a day after the uh, first uh, first production of our uh, of our show. Yeah. Well, all happy anniversary to you, Carlos. Uh, you too. What do I owe you? What's the present I owe you for the one-year anniversary? Is it I th- paper? Uh, I think the first one is a soda anniversary. Soda anniversary. I get you sodas like every. Week done. So so yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about ChimeraCon. So ChimeraCon was a convention in San Antonio, uh, relatively small convention, but I think a pretty solid one. I, I was actually kind of shocked at, at the level of diversity we had there. It, it was a small convention, a couple hundred people, not very many. Uh, but we had some decent comic book artists there. Uh, I want to give a shout out to. Both uh, Alfredo Lopez Jr. He did a drawing of my Corlac character for you know uh, good money, and it turned out great. And then also um, Zip Algeria did another Corlac uh, rendition for me. They're both very good, you know, different interpretations, and I think they both have a lot of merit. And I'm really happy with both of them. So we had some good comic book artists there. Uh, we and, had some- and just so people know, Corlac is uh, is BJ's uh, iconic character. In, in in fantasy role playing games, it it is it is kind of ironic how iconic he has become and how how much people know him. It's not because I, I here's the thing: so many people when they role play like they're fighters, they're big beefy barbarians. I think they go too far trying to make him seem quote unquote badass, right? And they're just like, oh, I take my giant sword and I kill everything. I go the opposite direction, and with Korlak, I try to make him as goofy as possible, right? At one point during one of the adventures. People started cracking up because we had to escort a bunch of goblins, and, and a, it's a matter of keeping the goblins calm and, and under control. And so the GM was like, well, how are you going to keep them under control? And I was like, I'm going to give all the goblins raspberries and you know, start you know, blowing raspberries on their stomachs and stuff like that, and, and people started cracking up. Um, so let's – one of the things I want to talk about at Chimera, well, so let's 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 get to some of the other stuff. So they had some good vendors there, um, some good swag. We had some steampunk people. We had a, a group that had one of those little 3D printers, and they were printing up um, stuff for people. Um, ton of games. We got to play some Flux. We got to play some Castle Panic. But by and large, you and I played Pathfinder. Yes, I actually I play I played one game of Pathfinder, and I ran uh, four other ones. I thought you played more than that. I thought you played more than one. Nope, just played really? one. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. 
So, but I loved it. I had a great time uh, running those games. It was a lot of fun. Made a lot, met a lot of people. Uh, one of the funniest guys was there was like a there was a ten year old at one of my tables that his dad just kind of dropped him off there, and he was actually kind of hilarious because he inserted bacon into everything he did. So I was, I think the table was all right with that. I feel like I'm missing something. Bacon's become a big thing. I think is it from those epic mealtime guys because they always put bacon in everything. I just think bacon has finally, uh, you know, caught up to where it should be in popularity, getting the notoriety that it deserves. Exactly. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, we we had that, and I remember when when they uh, the I, I want to give a shout out to the people. Uh, who was the guy who was running the whole thing? I forget his name. Uh, Stephen Lau, who goes by the name of Dragon Moon on the Paizo boards, was the organizer. It was so well run. They were able to get people, you know, people who didn't sign up, they were able to get them tables, they were able to get everyone organized, and uh, everything ran pretty smoothly for, for as chaotic as it, it could have been. Yes, I complimented him on the Kaizo boards, and he said he was really happy uh, about, he didn't think it was, it ended up being great and very manageable. Um, and he said that he was approached to also run PFS at Worldcon, which is going to be happening in San Antonio this coming year. Nice. And and I know he's probably being a little bit self-deprecating or whatever, but I think he did a great job. I think that the con, the people got boons, people got books, people got prizes. It was it was all just a lot of fun. I mean, it didn't have like a massive interactive that everyone gets to participate in, but you don't always need one of those, right? For the size of the convention, what they accomplished was great. Yeah, no, I and they they ran a lot of tables. They ran an extra table, I think, at almost every single uh, entry that they had. Uh, which was really impressive. Like they, they, they ran out of space. You know, when I ran games, I was, I was the backup judge, right? I was signed up to play, uh, most games and only run, and only run two games, but I ended up running so much because they overflowed constantly. And, uh, as a result of that though, I got to go play in the other rooms, which was actually great because they were much quieter. <laughs> and, and so, so let's talk about what I, I consider sort of the elephant in the room. There was a Watsy table there. Oh, well, see, I didn't even see it, but I know you did. Yes, there there was a, a D&D table. They were running the uh, fourth edition, quote-unquote, Living Greyhawk. But I, the reason I put the quote-unquote there is because it's not officially supported. Uh, Living Forgotten Realms. Uh, is it Living Forgotten Realms? I thought yes. it was Living Greyhawk. Yeah, okay. Living, Living Forgotten Realms. So they, they are running Living Forgotten Realms. It's not officially supported. It's fan run, right? But they had a fourth. They had a fourth a four E table, and they were also at the four E table running the D and D next play test. Right. It was one table, and it was not running very often. I think I saw them run two games there throughout the entire convention. Whereas. At the Paizo, at the Pathfinder stuff, we had minimum seven tables running all the time. Right, and, and yeah, and usually nine tables. So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is that representative of the the shift in in the gaming world? I, you know, I don't know. That seems like it might be overrepresentative according to the sales numbers that we know, but it's certainly at least indicative, I think. Well, let me put it a different way, because I was catching up on the Gamers 2, or the, the next Gamers uh, movie coming out. Right. They're going to be using Pathfinder for the movie. Yes, yes, they are. Right? That, to me, is indicative of, of the gaming culture shift. That, that, uh, from my perspective, it feels like the gaming culture is shifting away from D&D into Pathfinder. Yes. I mean, I think overall that that's definitely true. And and let's be honest. Let's we. I know we've covered this to death on this show, but I feel like we need to cover it. This is happening because 
of of the support that the community is getting from Paizo. You saw it at the convention. They gave them, you know, they gave them books. They gave them official boons to hand out to people. They had like little displays and stuff. The the Paizo group, even if it was a small convention, gave them official support. Yes, they gave, and they had, to, and it wasn't just like this is stuff we have lying around. No, the boons and stuff they had to specifically bake them for Chimericon, right? With they have Chimericon all over them. Yeah. The poster that was a good sized poster and display stand for Pathfinder. You know the extra the stuff they gave away for for uh, handouts and stuff. Uh, the book they gave them uh, everybody novels, yeah. Pathfinder Tales novels. Uh, you know everyone anyone who wanted one could get one. It was great. Uh, they were they were heavily supportive of of the whole Pathfinder experience. And I think that's why, because let's rewind the clock 10 years. We saw that level of support from Wizards of the Coast for their living Greyhawk and stuff like that, right? Right. I think, I think they maybe got a little bit complacent because they're within the tr- local triads, they were running a lot of self-generated content. Mm-hmm. And I think they maybe got a little bit too complacent on that and thinking that the whole thing could be fan run and they didn't have to do much for it, right? Right. And I think that was sort of the beginning of the downfall for them. And once they took away all support, they took away the OGL support, they took away the the RPGA support and everything was gone, you just saw it just do a nosedive after that. Right. No, completely. And Paizo, on the other hand, you know, just last month they hired another developer specifically for Pathfinder Society. So they now have three people working full time Pathfinder Society, all dedicated to Pathfinder Society, which is amazing. And I think that's the love. I think this that's going to be the culture shift. I think if D and D next gets the same level of support that Fourth Edition did, as far as like the how they interact with the community, I think it's going to be a flop. I think they haven't learned the lesson. I, I agree. And, you know, D&D Next might be a great system, but it is not going to succeed unless it has the community support. Well, we've 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 seen that all, you know, learned here. The system doesn't matter. I mean, I, I know I, I kind of hate to say that, but realistically, the system doesn't matter. Paizo proved that with Pathfinder because it's using the 3.5 system, a system that already existed. They tweaked it, sure. They, they fixed some problems. They added some new stuff. But it is the 3.5 system, and it, they they just gave it a shit ton of support yeah and said here's the community you make a character you you know we will support it we'll we'll give you modules we'll we'll you know give you this that and the other community support community support and i think it's taken off like wildfire we're, we're seeing more and more people like all the time joining up to play right definitely so i i think that's that's one of the interesting things of going to the conventions is you see you see the visceralness of that shift in the in the uh, the gaming culture right and you see it happening there live, right? Yeah, and and you see the same at gaming stores now. Um, so Dragon's Lair, you know, they just moved to a, another great local uh, store, just moved to a bigger location. And before they did, they had their annual clearance event sale where they sell stuff for, you know, it starts off at 25, then goes to 50, then goes to 75% off. And there was a couple of Pathfinder things there uh, that got snapped up really quickly. And like, these are old things, maybe five-year-old things. But the, there was tons of fourth edition stuff that they put on sale because with the, you know, new system coming out, it's just not selling. So I don't think it's been selling for a while. I, I don't even think that's a, right. that's indicative of the, the new system coming out. I think it's just gone because the module support's so shitty, the, there's no support for the, the um, campaign, the Living Forgotten Realms, there, there's no reason to play it, and people have just dropped it. And, you know, I, I think that's part of the problem that they're having. Yep, I think that's correct. 
So we also had other people there. Uh, Steve Jackson's uh, Steve Jackson game was in uh, high visibility there. Steve Jackson himself showed up. Mm-hmm. Now you were telling me he's kind of a quirky guy. He is. Uh, I will say in public that he is uh, idiosyncratic. Let us say that. Okay. I have, I have met him a few times. That's fair. <laughs> so, so he had a couple panels there and was. Uh, he was uh, also showing off his new uh, Kickstarter game, Ogre. Ogre. Ogre is an older game which they reprinted uh, uh, using a Kickstarter model, and it really was for them though. It was a it was a la- it was a love labor of love type thing. Yeah. It's a game that wouldn't have been made if it wasn't uh, you know if it wasn't for Kickstarter. It was it was a, semi- a somewhat popular game, uh, but it is really expensive to make. Really expensive to make. So even though the base game cost a hundred dollars, they're really not making that much money on it because it's so expensive to make and ship, and it's huge. You saw the size of the box there the size of the box was i mean certainly more than it was certainly bigger than uh any other board game i have ever seen (laughs) yeah i was kind of shocked because the guy was i thought that they had a poster up for it right i thought that that the thing on the table that they had standing up was the poster like you know paizo had a poster for pathfinder right and the guy corrected me he's like no that's not a poster that is the box right it's it's it was like two feet diagonal i was shocked i was like holy crap that's that's not (laughs) a very you know, friendly box for, you know, casual gaming. Yeah. But, you know, it did really well, and they they made it, and they're going to be sending it soon. I know a couple of folks that work at Steve Jackson Games, so I'll, I'm going to ask them more about it. But, yeah, it is uh, it is really – which you know, Steve Jackson Games is located here in Austin. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was really successful, and I think they're really happy to have made it. But, yeah, definitely Labor of Love, huge, huge game physically. We also saw BattleTech was uh, highly represented there at the uh, the convention. There was uh, two fairly large BattleTech uh, games with the, or, or arenas that they were playing at. Uh, massive boards. Uh, I can post some pictures of those. But yeah, they a lot of BattleTech going on. I didn't even realize BattleTech was still that popular. Yeah, and then uh, there was an In Nominee LARP, which I thought was interesting. Uh, that they had. Uh, I've never played in Nominee, uh, the RPG, but I've always, which is another Steve Jackson Games uh, RPG. But I always thought that sounded kind of interesting, and I was, and the people were really, really into it. So that was cool. That's part of the LARPing society. They get really in. You know, that's the whole thing about the live action role playing. They get really into it. They, we, I saw some Fiasco games. Yes, those were looking pretty interesting. I know uh, JJ wants to play one of those on his birthday in a couple weeks. Yep. And there was, I saw some people playing the Justice League uh, deck building game. I didn't get to watch it too long, but it looked interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, the big cosplay event. Uh, if you search for Chimericon Cosplay, you can already see pictures online. If you go to our Twitter, it's uh, COTB1, and we should put this up in the show notes. We also have a great picture of a Doctor Who villain cosplayer meeting BJ. Yes, I, I was uh, screaming like a little girl and, and making quite a fuss about it. So it was it was quite creepy. Yeah, it was terrific. You have to see it. So uh, yeah, all in all, great trip for for the lack of sleep. And, and the reason there's a lack of sleep is we have a tendency to get one hotel room and have everyone pile up in the hotel room. So it was JJ, Carlos, and myself sharing a hotel room, and we all snore pretty loudly. And so no no one of us got a full – well, I think you did because you fell asleep first. So no. You, you had I the right either. idea. Yeah, oh, you I didn't, didn't either? I didn't, I didn't either. I actually woke up a few times in the night myself. Um, but yeah, but I was going on lack of sleep because, you know, I we I, we work late normally. And, uh, and so uh, I'm used to going to sleep 
you know, two is relatively is when I usually around fall asleep and then Holly falls asleep, you know, two to three hours after me. But uh, that day I just could not sleep. So I didn't fall asleep until I only got about three hours of sleep, basically, is what I'm trying to say, because I had to wake up at five in the morning to drive to San Antonio. <laughs> so I was I was pretty sleep deprived. Well, that's that's a that's a good reason why that you weren't able to do math. I realized going to the convention, though, when you talk about the math thing, I realize as I've gotten older, I have very little patience for people who can't do quick math. That's like <laughs> that's my biggest pet peeve at the, t- at the table, because I in order to keep the games kind of snappy and moving along and not lasting five hours being able to just simply, you know, add your attack modifier to whatever your dice you roll becomes a high commodity all of a sudden. Cause oh, oh, see, that wasn't a problem. I did math quickly. Yeah. You just did bad math. Quickly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just did bad math. Well, I'm talking about the other players. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. Well, I got one of the, one of the, one of the players kind of snapped at me a little bit with about backseat gaming people. I was like, I'm not backseat gaming. I'm not telling them how to play their character. I'm just doing the math for them so they don't have to sit there. Cause I actually saw one person like counting it on their fingers and I was like, Oh, just kill me now. Yeah. So I would just, you know, you saw me. I would like lean over and be like, all right, you guys 17. Yeah. I just do it for them and so we can move on. And um, oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say no. Keep keep on going about Chimericon. I had one other Pathfinder related item. Uh, I just want to say that there, you know, just a lot of good fun at Chimericon. That that's really the the last thing. I, I got a boon. Uh, I think every one of my characters leveled up. So my my uh, Korlak leveled up, my cleric leveled up, and what was my defender leveled up. But since he hit level two, I decided to make him into the alchemist because I got that money boon. And and the best way to make money, we decided, was from being an alchemist. So people who haven't listened to us before, when you play Pathfinder Society, you are restricted in the kinds of characters you can make in by race and by various things. Um, and there are certain limitations about what you can play. Uh, what boons are are there these special things that give you that give you additional things, additional options for your character. So BJ got a boon, I think, that get, lets him make more money with his day job, right? Is that the one that you ended up getting? Yep, that's the one I ended up getting. So, so I got, because I GM so much, I got five boons. And, uh, and I, so I got, one of the ones I got though I traded for there, which was to make a character that is a kitsune, which is a, you know, kind of a Japanese fox spirit in the US, but I can make a character that has that, which I'm actually giving to Holly, uh, who, who will make a kitsune character from that. So I, I was really happy with all that. But again, that's another great way of how Pathfinder supports, Tarpaizo supports Pathfinder. Uh, the so. Boons is a great idea. I, I think back in the RPGA, they used to kind of do that a little bit, but I think Paizo's much better about it. Right. And Paizo lets you trade them and stuff, which is also really nice because there's some people who can never make it to conventions. So, uh, you know, they might have a much harder time getting that. Um, no, what I was going to say, though, one of the interesting things that happened Monday right after we got home from Chimericon is that uh, now there you can do a Hero Lab character sheet on the iPad. Oh, I heard about that. God, I'm so jealous because I really, I want here, I want Hero Lab on my Surface, and I want uh, JJ's uh, Fantasy Flight does a great dice roller app for the new Star Wars game. <laughs> Here's the funny thing, the new Star Wars game that's not even out yet hasn't hasn't gone through hasn't like finished beta yet. They're already making like a lot of money off this dice roller app. People love it for gaming. JJ uses it all the time, and so I want Hero Lab for my Surface and and the dice roller app for my my uh, Surface. And I don't think I'll get either of them, but 
So yeah, I have been using it. I'm at least testing it out the Hero Lab app, and it is really well done. Um, so you've used regular Hero Lab, and Hero, Hero Lab is a character building is character building software, uh, and it also has an in play kind of section where you can actually play your character using that software. And the game Pathfinder has all kinds of different conditions that they put, like you can be dazed or confused or whatever, and you can mark it off, and it'll do all the math, it'll do everything for you. Uh, the Hero Lab character sheet has all of that in the iPad, but it also has a dice roller for every single single possible thing. So if you have a skill to roll, you can just click a little die button and it rolls it. You have an attack, click a little die button there and it rolls the attack. It's terrific. I think uh, they did a really good job with uh, with this Hero Lab software. I'm hoping they do port it to other types of systems as well because, uh, yeah, it's It's a great advantage to be able to use it at the table. Because I was already – if you look in the pictures that I posted, I'm already using – like my tablet for most of my gaming. I keep all my books. I export all my characters to PDFs, right? Mm-hmm. So the only really thing is I keep like a little scrap piece of paper on the table for like tracking hit points and effects and stuff like that or how many tra- ratios I've used and what have you. Um, but Hero Lab, you're right. That in-play system has tracking for all of that. It lets you track your, you know, uses of a wand. It lets you track your rages and blah, 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 everything. So if I could just do that for my Surface, I, all I would, I, literally, I would just be coming to games with my Surface and uh, my uh, my dice. Right? Now, does the Surface use Windows RT or... Yes, my my uh, I'm, I have a Surface RT. I, if I if I got a, a normal, if I got like the full Surface, then this wouldn't even be a conversation because it's it's full Windows, right? So uh, that that wouldn't be a problem. I I would be able to do everything. I'd have the D and D builder. I could run all my uh, online campaigns because I can install full Java on it and stuff. So yeah, gotcha. if I if I got the the full Surface, then yeah, this this wouldn't be a situation. But it's it's Windows RT, so it's using the ARMA processor, right? So right. everything needs to be specially configured for it. It does have that cool Lacars like um, UI overlay to rep, you know create a uh, a Star Trek like uh, UI. <laughs> yes, I remember seeing that. But yeah, so um, are you ready to move on then from Pathfinder stuff? I think so. Um, yeah. Long story short, if you can get to a convention, Chimericon is a great one to go to. Yes, and uh, yeah, it's a very nice little, and it's been going on for uh, like a dozen years now, so it is a nice little convention. Yep. Uh, um, let let me let me go. I'm going to skip tech, some tech stuff this week. I think we can talk about it another time as some more news comes out. But video game, there was a lot of video game news in the last few weeks. Uh, one of the big ones being that uh, LucasArts got shut down. LucasArts got shut down, uh, and and. From what I'm reading about that, a lot of the industry people aren't that shocked about it because mm-hmm. apparently they were having a lot of trouble anyways. They hadn't really put out – they'd been doing the licensing stuff forever, right? So that's one of the reasons I think some people might be a little bit more shocked than they, they would be otherwise because I think people have seen a lot of the LucasArts logos on games. Well, well, and but uh, we've seen previews for the uh, for a new Star Wars game that actually looked really interesting. Yes. Uh, Star Wars 1313, which got shuttered. So that was supposed to be sort of their Uncharted-ish version of the origins of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I think, I I, I mean, I don't know. I I, I wasn't shocked because other than that, other than that game, what can you name me that LucasArts has done that has been stellar that has come out in the last five years? Oh, that's tough. Um, I mean, yeah, stellar stellar games have have, have been few and far between. Uh, but, you know, they were a fairly big company. I think they had, they laid off 150 people. I, I mean, I, I'm, I wasn't shocked, but mainly just because Disney bought it. So. 
Well, I mean, Disney, they spent, how much was it? Four billion or something like that? They, mm-hmm. they, they start getting their money back. So, right. you know, that's, that's one way to do it. I know it's a horrible way to look at it, but from my perspective, the, the problem with it was, is that they just hadn't been producing. If LucasArts had been producing, right, then they wouldn't have gotten shut down. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure. I, I I really think that Disney is really mainly committed to licensing stuff rather than making it. Um, in fact, uh, with the LucasArts shutting down, Disney only has one game development group, or they used to have several, and they're focusing on a brand new uh, system. A brand I don't even know what it's called, but it's it's completely it's mobile kids games. That's the only thing that they're doing in house. Every other thing they do, license. Really? Yes. Okay, well, I don't know. It's hard to. The only we'll only truly see what the real impact of of Disney buying them is in like the next two years, right? I think it'll take a while before we really see the results of that. It, well, it could... I I thought you would be more disappointed though because you know you know you remember LucasArts last game, right? What was LucasArts last game? The Star Wars Connect. Oh Jesus! With with the dance party. See, that just proves my point. <laughs> it does a little bit, yes. It just proves my point, right? The the whole I'm 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 Han Solo, I'm I'm going solo, Han Solo, whatever. Oh, that was when I saw the I remember when I saw the YouTube videos for that when it first came out, a part of me died. Yeah, the first time I saw it I thought it was a joke. Uh but no, no, it was it was dead serious. So. And I, I get it. My boss, um my boss Ross, he he explained it to me. He was like, Listen, Star Wars is trying to appeal not to you and me, but to our kids and, and that's you know, they gotta go a different way. He's like, Okay, that kinda makes sense, but I don't know, it just oh, it seems so wrong and so bad. Yeah. So yeah, so Lucas Art shut down. Definitely I mean they did have some great games in the day. I love Love Grim Fandango. One of my favorite games of all time, I think. Definitely my favorite adventure game. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it is sad to see them go. So in other gaming news, uh, the announcement of the Xbox, they're, they're calling it the 720. From, from what I understand, it might just be called the Xbox. I don't know which one it, it actually is officially yet. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be coming out soon. And already, for such a lack of information on, on either, like, cause we know some of the stats on the PS4, but other than that, you know, we don't know a whole bunch about it. There's already, like, these industry professionals who are like, oh, the PS4 is gonna win, or the Xbox is gonna win, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, it's way too early to call this stuff. Yeah, PS4 was also announced in the last couple months, too. So. Yep, yep, and, and the thing about the PS4, and, and I, I admit that this is probably a mistake from Sony, um, and this is the only thing that I will say that Sony made a mistake from, because you can't really, it's too early to predict, predict any of this stuff, but when they announced it, they didn't show it, right? They just showed, they just said the stats, you know, here's the processor, here's the RAM we're using, here's this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. So they gave all the stats, but they didn't actually show, like, a beta model of what it's gonna look like, or what it might even, you know, be close to looking like. And I think that annoyed a lot of the industry professionals. Yes. Right? And so that, I think that's, might be a lot of why they're getting some ire from them uh, for that reason. I, I saw, I read this article where someone's like, Xbox is going to win. And I was like, you can't call that yet. Right? You know, it's, it's way too early. I, I mean, I understand as it is right now, Xbox is kind of the top tier from, you know, just because they have a strong social networking. But it's a new console. It's a new generation. Things could go either way. We don't know. Yeah. And uh, it, I was surprised that both of them were supposed to be coming out sometime this year. 
both both of the new systems. That's that's the that's the theory, and that's yeah. why we're seeing a slowdown in the video games right now, right? Because yeah. everyone's waiting for the next generation to come out, right? So we're going to start seeing the number of of games coming out. Kind of, kind of scroll and slow to a crawl as they're waiting for the next generation because they want all the ni- nice new shiny graphics. Right. So we'll see. It's it, uh, it's all up in the air. Who knows? I, I don't I don't know. So. Uh, yeah, I, I play most of my games on the PC at the moment anyway. So. Uh, that me too. I'm, I'm I mean, don't get me wrong. I like console gaming, but I grew up as a PC gamer, and that's where I do most of my my gaming. You know, they they haven't released like a really good MMO yet that you can play on a console, and we play a lot of MMOs. You know, we got Neverwinter's Nights coming out soon. And we have the uh, Wild Star coming out in the near future. That one, I'm. Do you see that housing video that they sh- that 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 development uh, developer housing blurb thing that I, I yes. posted on Skype? Yes, I did. Wasn't that utterly freaking amazing? It's good, and I like the idea that it comes relatively early in your character's career too. So what we're talking about is, uh, I think Wild Star is trying to take a look at the long haul because typically in MMOs they're very heavily front loaded. Right, in that your experience in the game, the the the, mo- the maturity of it all comes at the first seventy five percent of the game, right? So you get all the really cool quests, you get to do all this stuff, and that's because they really focus on that early experience. And then the later part of the game, where you spend your end game and you have time to slow down and really enjoy stuff, is maybe a little bit sparse and lacking in content, right? And that's a a trend we see continuing on and on and on and on and on. And it seems like Wildstar, I mean, I, I could be mistalking because I, I haven't played the game at all, but from the developer videos and stuff like that that they've given us, it seems like they're really focusing on how do we keep people playing? Not just the content, not just the, the, the like questing and stuff like that, but what's going to keep people around in the end game? And so they released this thing about how they're approaching the strategy for housing. Now, every, you know, everyone can have a house. There's not going to be plots of land like there was. Like that was a big problem with Ultima Online. Ultima Online was, you know, one of the first MMOs, and it launched with housing, and you'd actually plot a house down, and it ended up slowing down the servers because every little free chunk of space was taken, right? And it just chugged down the servers and 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 made it to where like the entire map looked like this roaming city. Um, but instead, you're going to see these things floating up in the sky, and those are player houses. It's not actually going to be your house, but that's just to represent it. You know, hey, player housing's in the sky. You know, so that's where your house will be. And at any time, you can teleport up to your house. And there's like, you know, you're going to have to clear out the house. Your house is going to be like, you know, the, the plot of land's going to be infested with like animals and stuff like that. You're going to have to clear them out. Your house might get randomly raided by bandits and stuff. And then they said that you'll be able, you know, it's not just a matter of your house, but you get land. And then you'll be able to plug things into your land, like, oh, you want to be able to have a mine so you don't have to go mining out in the real world? All right, well, you can have a small mine, or you, know, or you can grow vegetables for cooking, or you can you know, have like a little sparring thing, or you can have a crafting table and you know, all these auction house stuff. And then you can give people access, you can give your friends access, or make public access, all, all these amazing things. And, and they also said, okay, here's the thing. You're going to have a benefit for... Being in your house, if you log off your character in your house, aka like you're, you're done adventuring for the day, so you're going to go sleep in your house, you get bonus experience. And then if you put cool things in your house, you'll get more bonus experience. So they're giving you, there'll be quests in your house that you can do, you know, special mm-hmm. events and stuff like that. You can go from to raids from your house. They're really making it a reason for you to treat your house like a home, 
and not just someplace you go to every now and then just to, for the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I thought that was a really cool idea, right? To give a lot of incentive for people to invest time and energy and money and stuff like that into developing their house, right? And that's what generates that end game. Right. And so uh, I, I think if that if the housing system is indicative of what they're trying to do towards end game, I can't wait to see what they're doing with the rest of the game. Yeah, no, I mean everything everything they say they've said so far has been great. Um, I'm really hoping they announce a release date at some point, but they are doing uh, betas now, beta signing now. Uh, I mean, you can sign up for the beta online, but they've started sending out uh, invites slowly. Yep, they uh, they released on Twitter. I actually caught it because I had it up. I had Twitter up uh, while I was uh, working today, and I saw the Twitter th- feed go up. And they said a picture is worth a thousand words, and it was mm-hmm. a giant picture of their whole team, and and it, with a little logo that said "We're ready." And I was like, "What the hell does that mean?" And then now the little tiny text that said below, "If you still don't get it, click here." And it was their beta. So I was like, oh, "Okay, so they're beta starting up, right? They're they're getting people in, and that's usually a good indication that they're getting." closer towards completion of, of a pretty major step in the development cycle. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I signed up for it as soon as I saw the, the sign-up come up. So hopefully, I hope to get in sometime, uh, or I hope any of us get in sometime so that we can talk about it more. Yes. and Assum- it, Assuming, a, you know, a, a relatively uh, decent NDA, but we'll see. <laughs> well, well ex- exactly. We'll see. Um so yeah, I, I think that's the one I'm really looking forward to. I know a lot of people are kind of hyping on Elder Scrolls Online, but I don't know, man. What, what do you think about Elder Scrolls Online? Um, I actually have not been paying attention to it at all. <laughs> I've heard good. I've heard you know, read, reading news, pe- people say it looks great, uh, and uh, and honestly, it probably does look great, and uh, it's probably going to be a very good game. But I've been more uh, focused on Neverwinter and Wildstar so far, as far as gaming news. I'm going to tell you, I used to, like, when I was reading up about Neverwinter, I was really getting into it until I heard them announce classes, right, for for Elder Scrolls. When they announced classes for Elder Scrolls, that's when they lost me, because I was like, Elder Scrolls doesn't have classes. That's not never been the the model for the gaming system. Right. So... I think, we, I think we're repeating ourselves. Didn't we cover this last time? There's some Neverwinter news since last time, and that is, uh, there's a couple of Neverwinter news things. Uh, there's Neverwinter has another beta weekend, uh, the 12th, which is in just in a couple of days. So if you hear this early enough, maybe, but, uh, open beta starts April 30th and that has an undefined, uh, closing time yet, but that's going to be a time for everyone to change. But did you hear what else they're doing? No, what are they doing? They are, they, they, well, some of the feedback they got was people prefer, uh, the kind of the fourth edition thing of having your powers as options and you choose what powers you get at each level and they decided to implement it. Oh, very interesting. So uh, they said, I think with this coming next coming beta, you uh, as you level up, rather than having this kind of predefined uh, advancement path, you can choose wh- what powers you choose to get and which ones you choose to advance as you go up in level. You know, that's a good idea because, like, I had fun with my barbarian fighter thing that I was doing, mm-hmm. but uh, like my at wills that I had for my left and right mouse click were not the ones that I would have picked. And I got options later, mm-hmm. right, as I got higher level, but I kind of wish I'd started off with those options because it would have made it a little easier for how I played the character. Basically, you get, you know, you get sweeping strikes and stuff like that, right? And so this is one that just does, like, this this close one burst that hits everything around you, and that's the, that's the good, like, AoE. And then I wanted to have another, like, you know, 
single target attack that I could easily do. And instead, I had this one where I had to charge it up. So I just spent a few seconds charging it up, and then it did, not, did another like sweeping blow that would hit everyone. And then later, I got this one that was a lot of quick slash attacks against the person directly in front of you. So mm-hmm. no no area effect. It's a single target, but it's a lot of quick strikes. And that's the one I would have preferred to start with. So I think if they're going to give people choice, uh, I mean, giving people choice is always the right thing to do for for these games. Yep. So hope we'll see how that goes with the next beta weekend. I mean, I think I think Neverwinter is going to do well. Uh, Cryptic Studios, the guys who, who produce these games, seem to really have their, a good head on their shoulders for you know making games that that will do well and make money. They're not going to like change the the MMO world, but mm-hmm. they they definitely have a, a business model that they use that that works out. Yeah, I agree. So, is that all of our gaming news? A little bit more. Uh... Electronic Arts, once again, was uh, decided as the, or declared the worst company in America, according to the annual poll done by the consumerists. I saw that. And did you see their response? I did see their response. They were a little defensive. <laughs> they Here's the really dumb thing, and, and this is what automatically dilutes their argument. They compared themselves to the Yankees. And they said, everyone hates the guy. I'm not doing a direct quote, but what it boils down to is they're saying, you know, everyone hates the top dog. And I was like, you really don't understand what this complaint from the Consumer Reports thing is, do you? Yeah. It's not a matter of hating the top dog. This isn't like, this isn't the other gaming industries complaining about you, right? This isn't like other gaming companies, right? This isn't like the Red Sox complaining about you. This isn't the, you know, you know the the Oakland Athletics or you know the Oakland A's or whatever. This isn't those people complaining about you. These are people who are saying, "I bought your game, and it was bad, and your support was bad, and the whole experience was bad." Yes, and uh, and like I said, they were a little defensive. They did acknowledge that they they needed to do better, that they owed people better than what they've done. But yes, they were they were a bit overly defensive. On a related note, uh, did you see SimCity's first DLC came out? I think I got an email about that or something. Did you, did you see what it was? No, what was it? It was basically a Nissan advertisement. Oh Jesus! It was so you pay for DLC and you get Nissan Leaf stations put in your uh, put in your city with the logos and everything for Nissan and uh, and it gives you all kinds of benefits about you know non non uh, a bonus to your pollution levels and stuff like that. But yeah, but it was like a really blatant Nissan uh, Nissan ad. So people were really unhappy with that. Although everyone acknowledged that they probably had that coming, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks and. And, uh, you know, probably had no choice but to release it. But yeah, after the, the misstep of the launch, having the first DLC basically being advertising, not looked upon favorably by, uh, by players. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Carlos, let me understand this. Normally, when someone advertises to be in something, they pay that company and then that becomes free content. Sort of like how a television show, like on a major corporation's free and stuff like that. But in this case, people had to pay to get the advertising? Uh, yes, I believe so. That's not a right business model. That's, something sounds wrong about that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, cause, you know, you got the Nissan Leaf station and it gave you all kinds of stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And was that the only thing included in the, in the update? Yes. Was there, uh, what? What are these people doing? Well, you know, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it was probably uh, 
something that they had coming for a long time, but just really poor timing. Well, that's not an excuse for it, right? I no, not really. It, yeah, it is, it is really a terrible idea. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that happened. Um, <laughs> but, but we've seen this reaction before from, from video game companies, like the reaction from Bioware to everyone complaining about, uh, Mass Effect 3. They were very defensive, yes. right? And they didn't, uh, no company wants to admit that they released a, a shitty product, right? And so, it's hard for these companies to man up and say, you know what, we made a mistake and we're gonna fix it. And, and, you know, the EA had to do that with SimCity, right? So that's why they gave, you know, free video games to everyone. I got my free video game um, for everyone who uh, bought SimCity and had horrible experience with it. And, you know, the, the uh, Bioware guys, they had to do the same thing with Mass Effect 3. They had to, to completely redo the ending and release free DLC to, to explain their shitty ending. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the end, I think people, the, these companies end up having to pay for their, their big mistakes. Speaking of paying for big mistakes, did you see or play the uh, Aliens game? Oh my god, I, I I so wanted that to be good, but as soon as it came out, there were floods of reports that it was absolutely terrible. And so I read it about it, and and what they did to that like the franchise was sacrilegious. Yeah, Aliens Colonial Marines. Uh, Penny Arcade called it an unfinished, ugly mess when it came out. Something interesting happened recently, though, because the UK has much stronger um, truth in advertising laws than we have, right? Yes. They, uh, and so, as it turns out, when they advertised for Aliens Colonial Marine, they used, uh, you know, you see a lot of people use gameplay footage, so they used gameplay footage for it. And as it turns out, the gameplay footage was not the actual gameplay footage. So they got fined... Yeah, I heard they they doctored it or something to a certain degree. Well, um, there's some there's some question about whether it was a uh, a you know a a build that was never released or someone had made a movie or something. But basically, yes, what they what they did was not what actually uh, what actually happened in the in in the game itself. You never saw what happened in the game itself. So they admitted that the game was. Uh, "Quote unquote misleading," and they got fined by the uh, UK advertising uh, standards body. So, yeah, and and the reason that I was complaining about it being sacrilegious is because they did a lot of stuff to the storyline that didn't make any sense. If you watch, because it's supposed to be, you know, right after Aliens, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where they nuked it from orbit, blew everything up, all the good stuff. So apparently. Uh, they didn't nuke it from orbit. The uh, the re- reactor blew up, right, and and you know wiped everything out. Apparently, that explosion wasn't very big; didn't hurt anything. Um, Hicks, who was in the ship with Ripley when they escaped, mm-hmm. uh, was not on that ship. Mm-hmm. So Hicks was going back with a lot of weird things, a lot of weird things that didn't make any sense. If you actually watch the Aliens movies, right, and they were trying to steal parts of that or whatever and completely and and here's the thing they said this is canon Mm -hmm. right so this is official canon within the aliens universe whatever that means but so because it's canon it screws up a ton of stuff story-wise yes and uh so if you want to see a sense of how bad alien colonial marine was search for uh derpy alien on youtube and you will see some fascinating footage. And they, they, you know, someone put together a list of all the 
ways that it screws up alien um uh, the the alien mythos. I'll see if I can find that list somewhere, but it was interesting just how much and and the gameplay right here was really bad and the graphics were bad. It, it you know played like it was a game released like, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. So, it, I don't know. I, they were hyping it up so much and it's I it had I was so looking forward to it and then it ended up just being terrible. So I have one more piece of game news, game related news that uh, I think you might have mentioned on Skype as well, and that is that Warner Brothers changed developers for the next Arkham Batman game. That scares me. Yeah, so instead of Rocksteady, Batman Arkham Origins is going to be developed by WB Games Montreal. I think one of the best games to come out in the last few years was Batman Arkham City. It was I agree. so good, giving you a sandbox environment where you could really be Batman. Mm-hmm. And the combat system, and the stealth system, and the gadgets, and the leveling up, and developing, and you know, I, I can't think of a single bad thing about that experience. I, I know my buddy from work, Dean, played it over and over again. He wanted to get all the riddle puzzle, the Riddler puzzles, and I was like, "Are you out of your mind? There are so many puzzles, so many little factoids, little Easter eggs, and and here and there. It, it, it feels like a living, breathing city. It feels like Gotham, and it feels." So real, and and it's the they got the tone right, and it was written by Paul Dini. He's a great writer. He did he created the uh, the Harley Quinn character. He wrote it. They got the original voices. Kevin Conroy does the Batman voice, and Mark Hamill does the Joker voice. And it it is if Arkham City and, and the original Arkham Asylum are just love letters to Batman. Yeah, they're terrific games. I was highly impressed with them and really surprised that someone made such a great Batman game. And that's always been the thing. If you've been a comic book fan, you've always had to kind of roll your eyes at the comic book video games that came out. Like this new one, the Justice League Unchained or Justice League whatever, the uh, that looks bad, right? The, the, the Mortal Kombat, you know, with Justice League characters did not uh, – has no interest in, for me whatsoever, right? But this game – uh, Batman Arkham City, if you've never played it, you you got to go pick it up and play it. The, yes. the sheer level of, of depth that it has is staggering, and it, it is so good. And you can play it. I mean, I played it on the PC. Uh, I don't know how you did. I played on the Xbox 360. Yeah, so, I mean, you can play it on just about any console, I think. And so the thing is, is the, the, uh, the Rocksteady group knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And so instead what they've done is they have a very highly tweaked version of the Unreal Engine. And it looks good, right? It, it's a very – it looks really solid. It looks really good. So they're handing the engine over that they developed specifically to make these games and all their modeling and stuff like that. They're handling it over to this Warner Brothers Montreal studio, and they're going to make the game. And it's going to be a prequel, and that just scares me to high heaven. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? I mean, because like I said – you could tell Rocksteady the developers were in love with it, and I I don't I don't know this other studio right. The the only games that they've made was um they made the uh, the ad the DLC for uh, Arkham City yeah the, the armor DLC and and they made uh, prototype did they make prototype uh, I don't know I will check okay because I think they made prototype and and I played prototype and it was not great it was kind of weird and and not real solid so. Uh, that's what scares me. I know Scott was really hyped about it, and when I showed him, I told him, he was like, oh, it's another Arkham game, oh my god, it's going to be awesome. I told him, hey, it's not made by Rocksteady, it's being made by another group. I think I think his his, uh, his excitement fell like 75% instantly, just from that news alone. I'm, I'm really, yeah, I, I am honestly shocked by that. So, 
But we know that Rocksteady's already working on their own prequel. They're working on a Silver Age Batman with the, uh, the when he first met the Joker. I don't know if we know that for sure, actually. Yeah, they've already announced it. Uh, I went looking today, and I'm not sure they are anymore. Uh-oh. Yeah. Don't say that. Don't don't say that. Uh, yeah, from what I saw today, we're not sure what Rocksteady is working on. Uh, some people thought that the thing that they were working on before was this prequel game, and that now they are not working on it. Uh, why do you, why do you do these things to me, Carlos? So we, I mean, I'm hoping uh, all they've said so far is that they support the you know WB Games Montreal, and uh, but that's about it. So honestly, no idea what Rocksteady Games is working on at the moment. Um, yeah. We shall see. I mean, there was rumors of a Justice League game at one point in time, not the Injustice fighting game, something else. Uh, and seeing them do something about that might be interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, they did so good on Arkham. I, I hope they do come up with something uh, soon. I mean, there's no reason for them not to. I mean, they, they've they've got a reputation for being amazing developers. They, they had to have made uh, just a buttload of money on Arkham City. I don't know a single person who didn't own that game. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, with that kind of, they were they were like Bioware after like Dragon Age, mm-hmm. right? Or like the second Mass Effect, right? Just you know, they've got nothing but accolades on their shoulder right now. Yeah. So that is all I have for video game news. I got a couple of other subjects to talk about. Uh, do you have anything you want to talk about first, though? Well, so I finished Bioshock Infinite, and, and oh yeah, and I didn't know if you wanted to get into that because that's going to be. If we're going to talk about it, and I'm more than happy to talk about it, it's going to be very spoiler heavy. So I didn't know if you wanted it spoiled or not. Let's 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 save that for next episode. Okay, that's that's we'll so we'll do that next episode. It'll be a, a heavy spoiler uh, episode because uh, I'm going to talk a lot about you know Bioshock One, Bioshock Two, and how it interplays with the Bioshock Infinite and and what all the stuff means. So okay, we'll, I'm I'm going to ask you one question about it. What should I play it? Um, yes. Okay. But understand. In the franchise, it's going to probably be the weakest. We, we Okay, but I, that's, that's the only question. All right, uh, Kickstarter stuff. Is there any Kickstarter stuff you want to talk about? Let's see. Um, I was actually on Kickstarter not too long ago. Oh, um, Brian Lewis, he's got a, a new Kickstarter up for standard action. Who is Brian Lewis? Uh, he is one of the guys... He's my favorite actor from uh, Gamer Sue Darkness Rising. Okay. He plays the mid-maxer. The, sure. The, the guy who's, you know, they, they have this great scene where he's sort of sitting in this, you know, dojo position, and there's yes. a guy walking around <laughs> him, you know, what's the resistance of a frost giant troll? And he's yes. like, you know, Tin, cold, and he's like, wrong, and slaps yeah. him and stuff. Yes. So he is one of the producers and makers of this uh, YouTube series called Standard Action. It's a uh, yes, I just saw that advertised today. Okay, and so they're gearing up for season three, and they got a Kickstarter for it. And it, as soon as it went up, it already was like way above their their what they projected for budget. Excellent, that's good news. And it's got like thirty more days to go, so <laughs> it's we're, we're I'm hoping that it'll just keep going and going and going because I really. Those those series are so good. They do such a good job, and it's another instance of where it's just a love letter to gaming, right? It's not someone trying to do it to make a buck off of it and and try and make it as generic as possible to apply to uh, you know as broad an audience as possible. These games obviously have things that are specific to gamers that you'd only really understand if you played these games, mm-hmm. and so that's why I enjoy them so much. And it's good to see them do well and make money off of this stuff. I, I wish nothing but for the best for them, because they make quality stuff. All right, I will put them on a remind-me thing and see how we're doing then. 
That is excellent. What do you got? So, let's see. Stuff going on, of course. Veronica Mars has two days to go at this point. More than $5 million. He put out a weird... The the guy who made that put out a weird like little update where he was saying, you know, we put down the minimum budget we need, but really we need more, and, and the more money we make, the more you know, better we can make. And it, it was, it just was, it didn't sound, it, it sounded too beggy. <laughs> it really did. It, it was like, you know, yeah, we only asked for two, and now we've got about four or five, and that's good and all, but it's still going to be really tough to make this movie on that. And, I mean, the more money we get, the better it'll be, and, and we could really use more. And it's like, man, you're already like... Well, you can't you can't make fun of him too much. You know why? Why? Because he can track you down and find you. He lives in Austin. I can still make fun of him. Oh, uh, okay. All right. He can, he can make his... <laughs> How many people listen to our podcast? We're not even up to a hundred listeners for the last episode. So we, oh, we are. Are we up to a hundred listeners? Last I saw was ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, we're up to a hundred. So. so Rob Thomas. All right, Rob Thomas. You sounded a little beggy for your Veronica Mars update. So if you want to come find me, uh, feel free. Email me at comingoutofthebasement.com. dot com. And, there you go. He's uh, gonna be like Uwe Boll and and have a boxing match. We'll I I will be more than happy to do that. I you know a, a good ass kicking would probably do me good and, and knock <laughs> some sense into me. Yeah, I think I think I mean that's a, obviously a highly successful Kickstarter. Uh, Torment ended and uh, the Numenera Torment one and highest video game Kickstarter. They're really excited by it. Um, I've been friends with one of the developers on Facebook, not like in real life, but we've corresponded a couple of times because of his book writing. And, uh, he's, uh, yeah, he, they're really, really excited on that. Um, uh, there's one RPG that I will mention and it's called Lords of Gossamer and Shadow Diceless Roleplaying by Steve Russell. Uh, who, uh, the Kickstarter is put up by Steve Russell who owns, uh, oh, I forget the gaming, the, oh, right publishing. And the reason this is interesting is I don't know. So my favorite, fantasy series of all time is uh the chronicles of amber by roger zelazny uh who i think it's a great series and uh they had an rpg for it called uh the amber diceless role-playing game and it is a it'd be an interesting experiment to play with y'all sometime it is a diceless role-playing game it does have mechanics but it's kind of odd but it's certainly very rpg focused and steve russell right publishing did another uh, diceless role-playing game that was basically a sequel to this Amber uh, game. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't use the Amber, uh, you know, brand and stuff like that. But it's awfully close, and uh, they're calling it uh, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. It looks really interesting. The art, I, I was actually really impressed by. So that's also one that I'm watching, um, and it's the Lords Lords of uh, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. Uh, we'll see how it ends up being. Um, Good. When are we going to do our own Kickstarter to make our own game? That's oh, what I, I want to know. Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, can can you pretend to be a nine-year-old girl? Can I pretend to be a nine? So there's a nine-year-old girl. There's a Kickstarter for a nine-year-old girl building her first RPG, uh, and it's it's made uh, twenty three thousand dollars. What the hell? Search for a nine-year-old building her first RPG. Um, okay, I'm doing this right now, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. Um, it the the story the the story behind it says her brothers made fun of her and said girls didn't uh you know didn't play fantasy or didn't play games and stuff like that and uh and she's like well I'm gonna prove them wrong I'm gonna make an RPG and she's going to RPG camp and blah 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 so uh yeah raised 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 a good amount of money for that Holy so crap 
Yeah. She has raised almost $30,000. Of course. Well, not so. for, okay, twenty, almost twenty four thousand. But her her goal was, she's at like a, a, over a thousand percent. Her goal was like eight hundred and thirty bucks. Yep. This is great. Okay, so I, I repeat my question, Carlos. When are we going to design our own RPG? Uh, yeah, we well, you know, gotta 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 design something. I think. Oh, <laughs> um, well, we oh, I got ideas, Carlos. We can design something. All right. Well, then then we'll, then we should do it sometime. We just need mechanics. We need a we we need I, I need the mechanics for the system, and then I can design all the other stuff around it. I got lore and stuff I can design, no problem. Cool. All right. Well, we'll we'll think about that then. All right, so that will backburner that for now. So, okay, uh, any other Kickstarter? God, this blows my mind. Yeah, uh, that was that was. I have other Kickstarter stuff I'm watching, but I think I'll hold off for now. Okay, that's crazy. All right, what what else do we got on the agenda? That's Kickstarter down. I've got two things on my agenda. One of them is some book updates. Uh, you know, the the, the fantasy uh, kind of stuff I read. Uh, I can do that real quick if you'd like. Go for it. So in tie-in fiction, and tie-in fiction is stuff that's generally associated with another brand of some sort, like Dungeons and Dragons books, Pathfinder books, uh, and some other things. Uh, I have I have a couple of things, two things to mention, two and a half things to mention. One is uh, the new Pathfinder Tales book came out. It's called Liar's Blade by Tim Pratt. Uh, really fun. It's kind of a buddy criminal movie, uh, kind of like that. Um, it's two. It's basically two guys traveling, in kind of an evil party, uh, with the two guys are being good. One of the guys is a magic talking sword. Uh, but it is it is actually a lot of fun. It was a it was a good novel, very good Pathfinder, uh, good connection to the Pathfinder stuff, and really interesting and really funny. So Tim Pratt Liar's Blade, that was that was a fun one. Um, Privateer Press. So I've never played the Iron Kingdoms RPG. Have you seen that? I've seen it, but I've never played it. So Iron Privateer Press does uh, miniatures games and RPG games, and uh, they they all exist in this world called Iron Kingdoms. And they just came out with a new uh, a new fiction imprint, which is called Skull Island Expeditions. And one of the authors is a guy I'm friendly with named Dave Gross, who wrote a bunch of the Pathfinder Tales books. And he has a new novella out from them that you can get on their site or Amazon or whatever called The Devil's Pay. So that's The Devil's Pay by Dave Gross. And it's it's really interesting because it's a kind of magic slash tech slash steampunk um, mercenary story. So it, it stars a, a group, a mercenary group uh, – excuse me, out on a mission. And it's it's very well done. Um it is reminiscent of Glenn Cook's Glenn Cook's Black Company series, which, if you are unfamiliar with it, doesn't mean, make anything to you. But it's like kind of a maybe the iconic uh, mercenary series, really long running uh, fantasy series called the Black Company. But yeah, so if if people are fans of the Black Company, I think Dave Gross this this story will definitely appeal to you. And if you've read any of Dave Gross's other stuff, is uh, he wrote a lot for D and D and for Pathfinder, uh, probably the iconic pair in Pathfinder right now uh, with Radaman and very in Jaguar, um, definitely check it out. Very well done. Uh, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And actually, it makes me want to look at the RPG, which when Holly listens to this, she'll completely cringe. Uh, but I, I am interested in that. Um, some other series I will mention that are not that are more on the urban fantasy. It's uh, Faded by Benedict Jacka, the Alex Vera series. And it's a series of books. Uh, I think there's three of them out so far. It's an urban fantasy. Um, if you like Dresden, probably this is one that you would look at. He's a mage in this kind of hidden magical world, kind of like Dresden is, uh, except he's not like the fire type mage. He's a diviner. And, it, and so he doesn't really have like any of these 
explosive fireball type powers. He he just he knows things and he knows what's going to happen. And so and anyway, makes it's a really interesting protagonist and I think an interesting twist on that whole urban fantasy stuff. Uh, one of them is called Sealed with a Curse, which is a new urban fantasy series by and I'm not sure how to pronounce this. So it's C.C. Robson, which is uh, the first of the weird girl cycle, and it's about a group of sisters who have powers in this kind of urban fantasy environment. Well written. Uh, there are some things about it that aren't original in the sense of uh, you know it's got a world with vampires and werewolves, which is very common nowadays in these urban fantasy books, uh, a trope at this point. But it is, I, I think, is a pretty well done example of this of this trope, and so I, I really liked it. Um, there's Dead Things by Stephen Blackmore which is a war fantasy book. Um, it is not a happy novel. It is a new novel. Um, the main character is a necromancer with all the kind of evil twisted things that might come with an urban necromancer person. And yeah, so it's not a happy book, but it was really well written, has some very interesting characters uh, and is kind of depressing. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the next one, uh, some stuff picks up from where that ended, but it was, it was, it was, uh, it was really good. If you like kind of the noir uh, mystery type stuff. He's going to investigate the murder of his sister. Uh, also really well done. The last one I'm going to mention is kind of urban sci-fi fantasy. And it's a series by Alex Hughes, uh, which starts with a book called Clean. And it, it deals with a future world where kind of high tech, uh, you know, technology had reached this level where they started doing like biotechnology. And then they had something called the tech wars. And after the tech wars ended, a lot of people died and a lot of the highest technology was outlawed. So basically it's kind of 20th century technology is where they're at now, except a bunch of people also have, uh, psychic powers. And all the people with psychic powers are part of something called the guild, except for a few people. So the protagonist in this series is a high-level telepath who at some point in time became – he was like a golden boy who became a junkie uh, for a variety of reasons and he was kicked out of the guilds. And he's pulling – and the stories are from – told from – he's the protagonist. He's trying to pull himself back together and while doing that, he basically uh, works with the local police department to solve homicides. And that's kind of what the series is, is about is, is him working with the with the, the PD, all of them who you know see him as an ex-felon junkie guy. And, uh, and trying to solve these crimes. I really like that series. I was, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, but that, yeah, so that's the last one. So that's, uh, Tim Pratt, Liar's Blade, Devil's Pay, Dave Gross, Faded, Benedict Jacka, which is a series, Sealed with a Curse by C.C. Robinson, Dead Things by Stephen Blackmore, and Clean by Alex Hughes. Wow, that's a lot of books. That was a lot of books. Okay. I probably won't remember any of those, but I'm hoping for my wife, who is, should be listening to this at some point in the near future to remind me and, and uh, look at those up and tell me if any would be, appeal to me. Okay. She knows my, my um, taste in books pretty well. So she, she reads, oh God, she reads so much. I can't, you can't pull her Kindle away from her. She, she just has that thing like attached to her hand. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So we got a lot of good uh, book news going on. Do we have any major movie news? I do not actually. Do you? So we went and saw the Evil Dead movie. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think it was pretty good. It lacked a lot of the charm that Evil Dead Two had, right? Mm-hmm. In that they didn't have a character like, and it doesn't need to be Ash, but part of the reason I think Evil Dead was so good is because Bruce Campbell was so charming in that role, right? And everyone was just so depressing in the movie and so dreary and emo and just there was nobody who was a little just even somewhat chipper. And I understand it's a horror movie and terrible things are happening, right? But 
you need uh, they needed someone who was a bit more gung ho, right? Mm-hmm. But more like, all right, well the you know the the minions of hell might be coming for us, but you know they're gonna take us kicking and screaming. You know we're we're not gonna go down without a fight. You know they didn't have a character like that, mm-hmm. and so that was. And and to be honest, the actors weren't that good. You yeah, know, that's too bad. I mean, they were okay. They they were serviceable, but they 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 weren't that good. And the the movie is hyped up as being one of the most gory you know horror movies ever made. And, and don't get me wrong, there were plenty of shocking gory scenes. But I was a little bit. You know how some even the littlest thing can kind of take me out of the moment, Carlos. I you know, yep. a, a little thing all of a sudden I'm just like completely removed. That happened in this movie, right? The hor- these horrible, grotesque things are happening. People are getting you know limbs cut off and shot with, you know, nail guns and they're carving up their own faces and, you know, you're you're kind of, you know, you're watching through, like, you know, your, the, your finger slits, you know, like, oh, God, it's horrible. And it's when they were dealing with the aftermath of all that stuff that I got taken out of the movie because every time they got hurt, they would stop the bleeding with duct tape. Well, yeah. And so, like, that, at one point, a guy gets a knife shoved in his chest, right? And it didn't kill him, and so they take the knife out, and it's just bleeding profusely, it's just, uh, gushing blood. And they try to put a bandage on it, and, like, the bandage, like, instantly, like, soaks up and is full. And they're like, oh, I got this. And they start unrolling the duct tape, and they just start covering the wounded duct tape. And I was like, I, I don't think that's how duct tape works. I don't <laughs> think duct tape has a magical coagulant in, uh, component in it that I didn't know about. And I was like, all right, I can forgive that. It's it's a it's a chest wound, so it'll figure itself out. And then at one point, a character just like in the original Evil Dead, she cuts her own arm off with a uh, one of those little like um, uh, table uh, saws that they used to like cut meat with. She cut her own arm off, and I was like, all right, that that's going to be a problem because that's going to probably bleed like a bitch. And uh, yeah, duct tape, duct tape again for the uh, the missing arm. Well, well I, I don't know. Have you tried it? You know what? That's a very good point. Yes, I exactly. I am judging without exactly without experimenting without without experiencing this this kind of thing. You so, are a good man for calling me on my bullshit. So how about on how about on Saturday we cut off your hand <laughs> and we'll experiment and we'll experiment and we'll see how much duct tape it requires to stop me from bleeding. Exactly. Or you know we can get Scott. Let's get Scott. Yeah, I think that's a better. I think Scott's the best uh, candidate okay. for that job. All right. So. All right. There we go. And I and I know. I mean there. Between moviegoer and movie maker, there's a social contract that says I will have suspend my disbelief in order to enjoy your movie, right? I understand that social contract exists, but I can't help but just feel that stuff like that just is distracting to a certain degree, right? And so, but the best part of the movie is at the very end, at the there's a, a little apparently it's called the trigger. I don't know if that's the real word for it. My buddy Mark was telling me, you know, oh, we got to wait for the trigger. And I was like, what the heck is a trigger? And he goes, it's the thing at the end of the movie, like, you know, Avengers or, or all that good stuff where they had that little extra bit at the end. Well, I always called it the stinger, I thought. Oh, oh was it the know. stinger? Okay, it yeah, might be the maybe. stinger. I thought it was, okay, uh-huh. so one of those two, the stinger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, all right, let's wait for it. And it was Bruce Campbell. And it was him mm-hmm. in a in a uh, silhouetted picture with his head down. And he raises his head and he goes, groovy, baby. And then he mm-hmm. looks at the camera. And I was like, well, that's pretty awesome. I would have enjoyed the movie more if Bruce Campbell was in it, was in it more. Um, right. But the theory is is that based off of this, they're going to do two sequels. One's going to be Army of Darkness 2, and then they're going to do an Evil Dead 2 where Bruce Campbell is in it. Whether or not that happens, I guess it depends on how well the movie does. Right. All right. Well, I will I will see it at some point. Um, yeah. 
you know, even even if it was just to bring in Bruce Campbell someday. Um, the other movie I saw was, did you know that over at the Alamo Draft House they started serving warm cookies? No, no, I didn't know that. That is the most evilly delicious thing I've ever had <laughs> in my entire life. So they bake it to order. So you order the type of cookie you want, and they have the cookie dough in the back, and then they actually bake it for you. Because you're sitting there watching the movie, so it, it'll take a little while, but it'll, it comes out, and it is so warm and gooey and fresh, and, and, and you know it has the right crisp on the outside and, and softness on the inside, and got it with a glass of milk, and it was just ridiculously good. <laughs> so I went to go see Olympus Has Fallen there, mm-hmm. and I mean, that movie is beat for beat die hard. Just like the same, you know, the same tone, the same, you know, the the, the same beats for for action, and you know, the the at one point, you know, they you know they're gonna fake their deaths by blowing up a helicopter, just like they did at the top of you know the Nakatoma building, stuff like that. It's just silly, and in the level of utter destruction they had to do to make it to where Gerard Butler's the only person left alive in the White House was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right, basically. All of a sudden, as they're being attacked by the North Koreans, all the Secret Service agents be, like get the mentality of lemmings and just run into this like machine gun fire. You know, nice. they they basically pour out of the White House, just you know, as, as as they're being riddled with you know multiple machine guns, they just pour out and just all just get mowed down unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. And I was just I was shocked. Mm-hmm. So. Again, I mean, if you just want a pure action movie just to see some action and shit blow up, it's perfectly serviceable for that. It's it's per, you know nothing wrong with that. But if you if you want a little bit more depth, then you might need to go see something else. All right, I will keep that in mind. I think I have that's not on my high list of things to watch. I think I'm going to do maybe Evil Dead, and I don't know what else just yet. We're in that kind of lull. We're waiting for the summer blockbusters, right? The the thing that's going to open the floodgates will be Iron Man three. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, I have one more thing to talk about today, and then I've got to run. Do you have anything you wanted to talk about? I think I've covered all my major points. All right. One thing I'm going to talk about, and I'm actually going to make this short, and I'll talk about this subject again uh, in the future as well. Um, So I said last episode that I was going to talk about copyright. Uh, and I'm going to talk about copyright. I study copyright uh, academically, right? I've been studying it for a long time. I have uh, ALA copyright scholar, gone to the Library of Congress, do my research on copyright. I do a lot with copyright. Um, and one of the things that got me into copyright, at least interested in it, uh, you know, prior to me be, being my academic focus was the effect that it has on the geek fan community because copyright really affects a lot of things that people don't, you know, some maybe more now after like, SOPA and PIPA and ACTA and all that stuff, but certainly affects a lot of things that fans do. The most recent one being uh, that Fox is starting to send out cease and desist about Jane hats, um, which I will get back to in another episode when I have a chance to actually see those cease and desist because they haven't gone public yet. But one of the things that happened um, within the last couple months, and I'll talk about the, this one this week and another one next week, is that uh, – Jonathan Colton had uh, Baby Got Back. So let me let me mention something about copyright going forward. So copyright in the United States, uh, the purpose of copyright is to 
promote progress, right? It, it's a constitutional thing. It's to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to the respective writings and discoveries. That's the Constitution, the Constitution Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8. What does that mean? It means that the purpose of copyright is to benefit the public uh, by promoting progress of science and useful arts. And the means of doing that is by giving uh, creators – exclusive rights to their creations for a limited time. And historically, copyright's grown and grown and grown and grown and grown, never never in the other direction. It's always, always, always grown. And that's led to some very interesting things, particularly with um, digital technologies. And I'll talk about that another time. So, um, But basically what happened in this situation is that Jonathan Colton made a cover of the song Baby Got Back. And you can find it on YouTube. It's like a soft version of Baby Got Back. Um and Glee ended up using his arrangement. But what they didn't do is they didn't give him credit. They didn't give him any kind of payment. They didn't give him any kind of acknowledgement. They just used it. And people were up in arms about that because it's not very fair, uh, which is right. It's not very fair that they were able to do that. So, But they said, nope, it's within the law. It's too bad. And that is partly true and partly not true. So what's going on here? Well, uh, there's a thing in – so copyright covers several uses of a work without exceptions, and there's a bunch of exceptions to, to, to copyright stuff that uh, that's, I'll get into some other time. But one of the things that is that is covered by copyright is the creation of a derivative work. So that's like a work based on an existing thing. So you know, the, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot made Baby Got Back. Jonathan Colton made a cover of it, which is a derivative work of that original one, right? So um, what happened there, though, is that there's a part of the law that says you can do that. You can make covers without permission even as long as you pay them what's called a mechanical license, and that's what Colton did. He went to the Harry Fox agency, and he paid money and said now he made his cover of Baby, Baby Got Back, and that's allowed, right? So that, that was all fine. The thing is, though, there's another part of that law that says unless you get permission from the person also, you don't get copyright protection on your arrangement. So he and he may or may not have known this, and may you know it's hard to say going on. But he made his arrangement did not have copyright protection. So uh, theoretically, then the work still the copyright any copyright was all Sir Mixalots, and the Harry Fox agency can do the cover thing. So that's what Fox ended up doing. They ended up getting their own mechanical license and made the exact same arrangement that Jonathan Colton did, and they weren't violating copyright in Colton because uh, he didn't have any. Except for one thing, and as it turns out, ex- beyond just using his arrangement, which might have been legal, they also copied his tracks directly, and that's not legal, right? It's legal to go ahead and record your own, even using his version, but they couldn't just copy them, and it seems like that's what they did. Yeah, so so Jonathan Colton like had some specific like sound effects in his version of it. A duck quack, I believe, being the uh, noticeable one, the most noticeable one. And they even used the duck quack. Right. And this wasn't using their own duck quack. This was using his exact tracks. Oh, and was it? That's that's the thing that's cop- That's the thing that's infringement. If they'd used their own duck quack, duck quack, that'd be fine. But they didn't. It seems like it seems like they actually copied it. So while he doesn't, so this is one of the weird things about music copyright, which is really complicated. But basically. Um, even though they can re-record it and, they, and their re-recording would have been in the clear, you can't just copy that performance. And that's what they did. They copied that exact performance. Oh, uh, okay. So they did violate uh, an obscure part of the clause. 
Well, it's it, it's not really a, so. That's it's one of it. Actually, it's not that obscure. That's why it's kind of shocking. Um, it's it's not so music. Music is really copyright is really complicated because you have when you know copyright exists for all the people who wrote it, right? But with music, you have the lyrics, you have the song, and you have the performance of the song, and all of those things might have different people being in charge of them, right? Or have copyrights in those. So while they were clear on the arrangement and they were clear on the song. They were not clear on the performance of the song, which they know because this is what they do, right? Glee, they're all about the music, you know. So they, whoever made that decision to actually copy the tracks, uh, and I think that's that's what they're probably in discussion of. And since he hasn't said anything since then, I expect there's either little litigation or a settlement. Um, yeah, so that that's that's a no no. You can't just copy something. I it did seem to quiet down all of a sudden after like I do remember him specifically mentioning the quack. Right, because uh, I followed his Twitter feed and I followed his his stuff, and I do remember after he mentioned the quack, things got really silent after that. Yep. So that's why I'll, I'll, I'm going to guess something happened at that point, but yeah, you know, we don't we don't know. So the other sort of addendum to this story is: Did you see that he released on iTunes the Baby Got Back cover of the Glee cover of his cover? <laughs> yes, which was basically his cover, right? Yeah, well, it was just yeah. his song. Yeah, it's his song. You know. Yes, but it, that's but, how that's how he released it. Yes, and so it became like one of the highest selling like iTunes songs for a little while. It was way above the Glee version. Yes, and, it was and hilarious. I thought it was very funny. Right. So yeah. So yeah. Copyright again. This this affects this is affects copyright, but uh, it was a big part of this story, and it's confusing, and it's even confusing to people like Jonathan Colton, who does it professionally, and the Glee people, who should really know better because they're Fox. So uh, yeah, they probably have an army of lawyers looking this stuff up. They definitely have an army of lawyers looking this stuff up. So yeah. Well, it's good to hear that Jonathan Colton's version was saved by a quack. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Like I said, we don't know for sure, but and, uh, and, and if it. If it goes the way it, 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 I think it'll go, we won't know for sure. Right? right, right. And the other the other thing I wanted to point out, though, is, again, this is one of those things where the law is the law, and that has nothing necessarily to do with whether it's right or fair, right? Because even if it was completely legal for Glee to do what it did, complete dick move. They should not have done that. Yes. You know, even and you know it was it 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 might have been even if parts of it were legal, even if the entire thing they did ended up being legal, they should they there's a lot that they should have done. Uh, so this it, they might have been legally correct, but they certainly weren't ethically correct. So what's this about them telling people to stop selling the Jane hats? So um, Etsy, of course, people have been making Jane hats for since Firefly, and they've been selling them on Etsy or whatever. And recently, Fox started sending cease and desist to uh, to Etsy stores and to other stores selling Jane hats. Uh, no one's exactly sure why, although they suspect it's because they have an officially licensed Jane hat now. And what I'm curious about is what kind of legal rationale are they using for this? Is it copyright, trademark, or something else? Because there have, the cease and desist haven't been publicized yet. So um, – they are, yeah, they're telling people not to sell Jane hats. The brown coats, the Firefly plans are kind of up in arms about it. And, uh, this is a new thing that's just come out in the last couple of days. So we shall see what happens over the next few days. I'm hoping to get a copy of the cease and desist, uh, at some point so that we can kind of try to analyze what's going on. Cause, um, copyright when it comes to clothes, also very, very odd. Um, so yeah. 
So you're telling me Fox is possibly screwing over their fans? Say it's not so, Carlos. I'm so shocked. I I I know. I know that it it doesn't seem like it's like them at all. Just like they would never cancel a great series, you know, in, in, so early in its career. I know. But so. Uh, so that's why I'm I'm anyway. I'm hoping I'm hoping to hear more about that soon. Well, you know, just it's 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 a muddy waters that they they tread in over there, so. Right. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that stuff for for the most part. You probably have to deal with it, but I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> All right. Well, I need to wrap up now. So. All right. That'll uh, that'll be it for us for today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Coming Out of the Basement. Yes, and thank you. I think it was Critical Kensai. Uh, we got another iTunes review. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I did not. Need, I did not see that. We got we got a five star review. So thank you very much, whoever you are. Uh, I, I hope you enjoy our episodes. Uh, anybody else who wants to leave a review, whether you like us or not, please go ahead and do so. Uh, uh, go ahead. No, I was gonna. Uh, no, go go for it. I, I I don't even know what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. You can do that on iTunes. Uh, you can contact us at uh, coming at podcast at coming out of the basement dot com. Um, and you can always reach us on, I'm very active on Twitter, so you can find us at, uh, COTB1 on Twitter and, uh, tweet us something. I'm happy to respond. I've been posting slowly pictures from the conventions and, and begging the Wildstar people for beta access. <laughs> How's that going? That's a well. Alright, you can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. And yeah, um, we're happy to, to answer any questions, or if you have any topics you'd like us to cover, drop us a note, and we'll, we'll be happy to, to cover anything you're, you might be interested in, in hearing some more about. Heck, if you want to talk on the show, let us know. We're <laughs> yeah. Happy, we're happy to talk to you. <laughs> that's, that's also very true. All right. You can find us coming out of the basement.com as well. So right. thank, thank you very much for listening. Take it easy, guys. All right. Bye. Network interface disabled. Goodbye.